Welcome to the inaugural episode of the new Citizens Party interview series called Citizens Insight. Today my guest is John Dalson and we're going to be discussing the crisis in the dairy industry. Welcome, John. Welcome. Good morning. Good luck with your uh, proposal. Thank you. And let's hope we have some luck with your proposal to save the dairy industry. Let me begin by um, reminding uh, Australians, John, that towards the end of last year, 2019, uh, One Nation, the political party, um, uh, won quite extraordinarily the support of the Labor Party in the Senate for a bill to uh, re-regulate the dairy industry or provide support for dairy farmers in the crisis that they're going through. And that bill ended up failing by one vote in the Senate. And it was quite controversial at the time. And it was extraordinary that the Labor Party and One Nation joined forces like this. One Nation had been working with Catter's Party in the lower house as well. It reflected, though, this sense of th that there is a real crisis in the dairy industry. Now, you have subsequently looked at this subject in great detail. You come at it from a different standpoint to one Nation um, and the farmers, because you are in fact the former chairman of Woolworths, which is one of the two mega retailers in Australia, um, and of course has all the, the, the power in this marketing relationship, market relationship with the dairy farmers. So you've, you've produced a report called The Dairy Industry Crisis. I've got a copy here. This is on the internet, and the link can be found on our website, the Citizens Party website, under the press, the press release headline, former Woolworths chairman calls for urgent dairy re-regulation. And you can get a link to the report there. It's, a, it's over 100 pages, though. It's very detailed. So we want to talk to John about that today because his insights are quite unique. But essentially, um, he's come to the same conclusion as uh, One Nation and the Labor Party on this. But he has proposals that he think can make it work. So, uh, John, just, just, just explain to the viewers um, how you came to think about this and the perspective you brought to it. Well, I came, funnily enough, I came to this via my study uh, of the banking sector. And one of the uh, issues that concerned me was the huge imbalance of power between the retailers and the dairy farmers. And like everyone, I've read a great deal about how the dairy farmers have been disadvantaged. So I, in, in late October, early November last year, I started looking at it to understand what was going on. Um, and I came to the conclusion that there's some unfair and unjustified conduct going on here. Uh, and the power imbalance between the retailers and the dairy farmers is so acute that the dairy farmers are losing out and that uh, uh, and we should do something about it. And another reason I tackled this was that um, I claim to be uh, independent. Uh, I'm not a dairy farmer. Uh, I do have relations that are. And uh, I thought coming to it fresh might be useful. So that's the, that's the genesis. And dealing with the, the bill by Senator Hanson, uh, I agree completely with her intentions. Um, however, I think that on my examination, my method um, is a bit, a bit is better than hers, and I make that comment with some humility because there is nothing wrong with what she was trying to do. But I think, with my knowledge of the sector, 
I think my form of intervention will be more effective. And it's interesting that in the last few days, the organisation that represents dairy farmers, ADF, has now come to the same conclusion. So what are we really arguing? What's the best method of intervention? Not whether we should intervene, what's the best method? Now that, that, that is very significant. Before we get to your specific proposal, I want to draw out your argument for intervention though, um, because this is, this is quite key. What we have in the, we have this sort of default setting in the, in the governing parties that government shouldn't intervene. And you're not exactly an interventionist yourself. You come at it from a free market standpoint. But isn't your essential argument here that, as you state in your report, the market is broken? This, in this case, this market, this dairy industry market is broken. Yes, I have. I am, I am uh, not an interventionist. I am, uh, as you would expect from my background, a free trader. Um, but I believe there are limits to free trade, and that's becoming the conversation today um, by a number of people and some quite famous economists. The real issue is the nature of that intervention. Now here, uh, I think there's a strong case for intervention uh, because the supermarkets have so much control um, over, uh, over pricing, etc. And, uh, you know, 80% of uh, three of them control over 80% of the market. So um, there's limited choice for, uh, for suppliers. So the question is, the issue is um, how the supermarkets exercise that power. And some of my arguments apply also to some of the other suppliers to, uh, to supermarkets. And I must say, if you read uh, your report, John, it's very strongly worded because in describing this imbalance of power, you talk about the treatment that the farmers have received on the other end of that as um, un-Australian and unconscionable. And of course, we now have a, a, an acute crisis in the industry, whereas before the bushfires hit in those areas of, Queens, of uh, New South Wales and Victoria that are dairy, industry, dairy areas, there were already two to three farmers a week leaving the industry. Now it's nine to 10 a week and that's even accelerating more. So there's a real urgency here, isn't there? Uh, yes, there is. Um, the nine to 10% represents 10% of our dairy farmers. Now that's extraordinary in any sector to have that rate of, uh, that rate of exit. It, it's very, very high. Now, there's some other events that have happened that uh, will exacerbate that. About a week ago, 10 days ago, the processors announced their um, their pricing for the ensuing 12 months. Um, and what's happened there is that uh, the estimate of the price cuts of the various processes to the dairy farms is about 9%. So we come out of a period of, of, of droughts, fires and poor economic conditions. And now on top of that, they're facing a, a, a around 9% cut in their income. So they're really copying it. And that's on top of the mass exodus already from the industry since deregulation in 2000, which has even... That's right. Yes, that's right. Since 2000, when it was deregulated, uh, there's been a massive drop in the number of farms. Um, I can't quite remember the figures, but it's quite, you know, it's like 30, 40%. It's quite dramatic. Uh, and there's no doubt that the deregulation in 2000 um, has been good in the sense it has forced a lot of uh, rationalisation and consolidation. But I'm not too sure it can go too much further. You see, what underpins all this is that our dairy farmers are some of the most efficient in the world. So I'm not too sure from a dairy farmer point of view 
what further they can do in respect to their operating efficiency. And the other thing that's happened to them is that the key ingredients in their costs, like water, fodder, uh, electricity, super, wages, almost everything you like to name, is increasing. So they've got this two-way squeeze of lower income and huge increase in cost imports, most of which they don't control. Well, so what's then your specific proposal to address this problem in the industry? Well, I spent a lot of time thinking about uh, the various ways in which you can intervene. And there's been a number of them suggested over the years, like controlling farm gate prices, like monitoring the cost of production. And I came to the conclusion, uh, theoretically, they sounded good, but they were too difficult in practice to implement. So I took an approach that where is the problem arising? It's arising because of the way dairy products are priced by the supermarket. Now, the only way to address that is to get the uh, to get the supermarkets to increase the prices. Now, they don't like doing that because they're famous for keeping prices down and lowering costs and inflation, which from the public point of view is a good thing. So um, because of the competitive tension that exists between them, the chances of solving it by negotiation are extremely low. So the government has to intervene and ensure that there's a a transfer of a payment. Some people would call it a levy, but I don't want to call it a levy for another reason. A transfer where the supermarkets, for every litre of drinkable milk they sell, they must pass through an independent entity back to the dairy farmers uh, anything from 20 to 40 cents per litre. Now, that is very simple, very effective. Uh, it's low cost. And it is not regulating the supermarket's pricing. The supermarkets can still price how they want. They can elect to absorb some of that or increase their prices. You're saying, uh, just, just to be clear, you're saying an extra, an extra 20 to 40 cents per litre? Yes, that's farmers. right. Uh, if you analyse uh, international prices of, um, uh, of milk and do all the exchange adjustment, etc., Australia's got one of the lowest um, prices in the world. Adding to that... Um, Australia is one of the most least subsidised dairy sectors around the world. So, well, just to illustrate, just to illustrate that from your own figures, uh, John, the, the price of a litre of milk in Australia is currently a dollar twenty to a dollar thirty, whereas even in New Zealand, which is our closest competitor, if you will, in this sphere and has its own advantages in dairy, the, pr- the, the price there is two dollars fifty that the New Zealand farmers right. receive. Massive difference that right. illustrates what Australian Massive farmers difference. Um, and with the, It's the same with other, other countries. Uh, and we looked at a sample of um, developed and undeveloped countries. One is, one is $1.70 and the other is $2.70. So um, it would not be an unfair impost on the consumer for the price to increase by that amount if you want to compare with, with other countries around the world. Now, there are some countries that have got uh, lower, lower figures, not by much, and they tend to be countries where there is massive government subsidies. And here in Australia, we have no government subsidies. We're one of the least subsidised um, sectors. I'm talking about agriculture in the world. Um, and I just think it's got, uh, it's got out of whack. Now, you have, an, you have a sense that the, that the Australian consumer wouldn't really complain about this, and... I agree with you because, for instance, 
before the Coles Woolworths price war that drove milk down to a dollar a litre, nobody in, Australian consumers weren't exactly complaining about the price of milk, that what, what it was before then. So if they see the fairness in this, um, your sense is they would happily accept this price increase. Well, there's, a, there's, there's another way of looking at that. If you look at things like uh, fruit, vegetables, seafood and meat, um, those products gyrate, gyrate yeah. in pricing by any to anything up to 50 to 100%. And consumers affect that because of the seasonal elements. Mm. Now, dairy, because they have annual contracts um, and because of the enormous investment in processing, um, you, you can't have that, uh, that amount of gyration. You've got to have a reasonable amount of certainty. Um, and, and I think once this is explained to the Australian, Australian consumer what's happening, I think there might only be a very short-term dip in sales and then it will recover. How does your proposal differ from what Senator Hanson proposed? Well, she, well, well Senator Hanson is, is taking it from the, the cost of production end to farm gate prices. And that's admirable. But the great difficulty is that uh, every farm is very different. The costs of production are very different. You know, what margins you put on top of it. It's, it's a Pandora's box. Yep. Now, theoretically, it's good. But practically, it's difficult to achieve. Whereas mine is very clinical and very certain. X cents per drinkable milk sold by resellers goes back to every farmer in proportion to the milk they deliver to processors, whether that milk is used as fresh milk or whether it is used for manufactured product. It is so simple. Yeah, and that does, that does um, cut across the, this, this issue of different states having different um, advantages when it comes right. to production because, of course, That's Australia right. has the greatest That's advantage. right. The only thing I can argue that, um, is that the bigger farms, because of scale, will gain better because, remember, this is in effect has a percentage effect on their income the bigger farms will do better than the smaller farms. And I've looked at that and I thought, I'd love to be able to re-engineer that so the smaller farms got a higher proportion. But, but how do you do that? It, it's extraordinarily difficult. Well, you show, before you go on, you show in your report, though, that um, even if that outcome is, as you say, state, Nevertheless, the benefit for all farmers, including the small farmers, compared to what they're getting now, which is the average profit of a dairy farm in Australia is $22,000, compared to the average the minimum wage of $35,000. This is what the dairy farmers are having to live on. Um, so something that boosts their revenue substantially, they, they, no one's going to complain about, even if you know, structurally the bigger farms do a bit better. Yes. The other thing you've got to remember is that um, whilst you take a 40 cents uh, transfer payment, um, the farmer uh, only gets uh, about 13 cents of that. Uh, and that 13 cents uh, will amount to a, probably a 20% increase in their income, remembering that last 10 days they lost 10% of their income. Yeah. Now, there's one other dimension to this where you could, you could manipulate it. That is, um, some farmers' uh, milk goes to drinkable milk and others go for manufactured product. Now, with manufactured product, uh, what the manufacturers want is a high fat and protein content. So some farmers uh, go to more expense to, uh, to produce milk, which has got a higher protein and fat content. It is possible that you could put in an, an adjustment that deals with that. 
um, if you wanted to. Uh, I'd rather, nevertheless, keep it keep it simple. Well, you you do have a unique proposal, though, in that you criticise the fact that farmers are paid for the fat content of the milk and not paid for the water content of the milk, even though they actually pay for that water when they use it to produce the milk. And you think there should be um, some kind of uh, structure in the payment to actually reflect the water content as well as the fat content. Uh, I, that's, a, that's a curious uh, observation uh, that I don't think has any practical uh, relevance in this debate, except this. Um, the movement of that water uh, from dairy farmer to ultimate consumer, yeah. there is a very significant transport cost. Yes. Um, and uh, there, there is a, you know, an, an environmental issue with that. Well, you know, I had a bit of a joke about this. Why not turn milk into a cordial so you can remove, you remove the water, remove all that expense? And, of course, someone came back to me and said, oh, come on, John, haven't you heard about powdered milk? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, of course, powdered milk, um, I don't know how many uh, a litre of powdered milk, I don't know. Um, a litre of powder, I don't know how many litres of milk that would produce, uh, but certainly um, a powdered milk uh, takes a huge cost out of the supply chain. Yeah. Well, and this is where, if we get our act together, um, we, we do know there's huge demand for Australian powdered milk in a country like China, and everyone keeps scratching their head and saying, why aren't we do it, meeting that more? But we do need to fix up the dairy industry first if, we, if they're going to be... Um, flexible, if they're going to be able to be flexible and, and, and uh, provide the investment themselves to do that, aren't we? Well, at the moment, apart from farmers um, uh, exiting, uh, the other farmers would not be able to reinvest. Yeah, that's the problem. So we've got to do that fundamental uh, issue of getting that average dairy farm, not the large ones who are probably coping with this, we've got to get them uh, economic so they can reinvest. There's a suggestion that some of them can change their uh, uh, production systems and be more efficient. But in the, in the current climate, they can't afford to do that because that involves uh, changing the genetics in their cows. And that's not something to overnight. It, you know, it takes a few years uh, to deal with the genetics in your cows, et cetera. So what's happening is that the dairy farmers are being constricted in looking at innovative ways of even proving further. But let's not lose sight of the fact they're already very efficient by world standards. Yes. Now, um, John, at this point, I'm going to insert into this interview, which you and I won't see live, a clip of last Friday in Parliament, David Littleproud answering a question on the dairy industry in which he completely panned any move to, he used the term re-regulate, he said any move to actually along the lines that Senator Hanson promoted and Labor Party supported, he said would destroy the industry and claimed it would destroy agriculture. And then he doubled down on this idea that there should that of that he's a he's um pursuing, which is for a code of conduct. Now I don't like I know you don't like getting too political, but I just want you to um talk to that and why you don't think well one you think that that Minister Little Proud is wrong, and two why you don't think a code of conduct will work. The dairy industry uh, is going through a transition uh, and we have lived up to a number of the suite of measures that we have put in place, firstly around the Dairy Code of Conduct, that when it goes into, and started with its first initial prices being displayed by processors on the 1st of June 
and we'll continue to ensure and work with the ACCC around refining that. That was one of the key planks of our, of our election promises, along, along with a market platform uh, and a number of other measures that we've asked the Australian Dairy Federation to support. We are working with them uh, around expediting those because when I became Agriculture Minister again, there was a number of measures that we needed to ensure uh, complemented the Dairy Code of Conduct. Uh, what we have said that we wanted to work with all parts of the dairy industry, as well as the processing sector, as well as supermarkets. And we've done that in a constructive way and we'll continue to do that. Uh, I know those opposite wanted to have another ACCC inquiry into the, into the dairy. They don't need to. They didn't need to because it only cost Australian taxpayer $2 million. But it seems they now want to take the advice, want to take the advice on the dairy industry from Pauline Hanson and One Nation. They want to re-regulate an industry. Uh, that, that is frightening. That is a reckless act that would destroy agriculture, not just the dairy industry. And those great, those great reformers of Paul Keating and Kobe sitting in their chairs today watching at question time, squirming one with the lady. But don't worry, Minister, Mr. Keating, we're going to do it over slowly. We'll, well um, by definition, a code of conduct is about behaviour not about dealing with structural problems. And all codes, and in particular, the code that exists between dairy, farm, dairy farmers and processors, is not working. All that code does is tries to regulate the way the parties relate to each other. It doesn't deal with the fundamental issue of pricing. And processors can walk away from it. So um, codes are well-meaning, but limited. Codes are not going to solve this problem here. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm sure the minister would like an overarching code that covered all the, uh, all the agricultural sectors, not just dairy, perhaps modified because of a diff different dynamic in each sector. But the difficulty is you'll have extraordinary difficulty in reaching agreement with the retailers on the segment of the code. And when you start moving into that territory of trying to deal with the core issue of the pricing, you will never get agreement. Yeah. So I don't want to uh, dissuade people from trying to do that. Um, I'm just trying to be realistic about it, that it won't solve the problem. And I don't want to see, I don't want time to be wasted anymore for dairy farmers going down the tracks of things that won't work. Now we've had two Senate inquiries uh, about this one in 2011, I think the other one in 2017, where they talked about the code, etc., and they talked about the weakness in competition law. And as a result of that, they went down the track of codes which haven't solved the problems. So we've had two standard inquiries trying to solve the problem, and they haven't. So what I would say, I challenge someone uh, to come up with a better idea. Now. One's got to be sympathetic with the government, any government at the moment, because Australia uh, is a free trading nation and we must continue that position because we're developing so fast, we need capital imports to pay for everything. So we've got to be an attractive place, which means we must have the minimum number of restrictions on trade that we possibly can. And that's a very, very sensible starting off point. And I, and I accept that. But the reality is that um, Sometimes competition goes too far and gets out of control. 
and there has to be some limits. And I think this is, this is a case in point. And I think that if the government think they're going to solve this by uh, some kind of code, whether it be an agriculture code or whether it be a dairy code, um, my judgment is that it won't work. Well, and John, just to go back to how this discussion began, you said you came at it from the standpoint of the thinking you've done into the banking system, where um, that's how we've come to know you, as you're an advocate of the banks separating, the changing the structure of the banking system, because the current structure is also an imbalance, if you will, right? And we need to have that separation between um, commercial banking with deposits and investment banking. And it's very interesting that you've drawn the same conclusion when looking at the structure of the dairy industry from someone who used to chair one of the big retailers um, and has a background, I have to mention, um, uh, as, the, as a councillor of the Institute of Public Affairs, you're, you're definitely someone who, who um, believes in the free market. And I, 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 I urge those people who are still wanting to look at it from that standpoint, including the government, read what you've written in there about how, how uh, Adam Smith would support your proposal for government intervention. Right, because it's actually it's interesting that we've come this far now after many decades of these policies, and you do have to take stock and at what's worked and what hasn't. And if you do that with, without ideological blinkers on, I would argue, you would come to conclusions very much along the lines that you're proposing here. So yes, John, I, 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 the important thing is to get rid of the ideological blinkers. Now, the interesting thing is um, that the Productivity Commission. Uh, and the ACCC acknowledge there's an imbalance of power. Another interesting thing is Dr. Kennedy, who um, is the Secretary of Treasury, has made a comment um, that the only way to solve some of these problems is by some form of intervention. All I say is that when you're going to interfere in the market, you've got to do it with great care um, to understand all the consequences of it and make certain that you're not disrupting the market working in the sense of freedom. Where freedom is abused, that's what it's all about. Where freedom is abused, my view is that you are entitled to move in and try and do something about it. And my view is that this is going to be the discussion of the future, not free trade or non-free trade. It, the argument that the movement's going to be going forward is how should we intervene? What, what, sorry, why we should intervene and how we should do that without breaching the fundamental uh, free trade of people, one person being able to deal with another without, uh, in, in an unrestricted way. So it's very delicate, very delicate. Uh, I mean, but I, I, don't, I don't think it's necessary to go into the ideological side of it. I don't think it's about ideology. I think it's about, uh, I think it's about practicality. And I believe the man in the street, if this is articulated to him in a proper way, whether he's a free trader or whether, whether he is not, he will see the logic and the sense about some, for, some limited forms of intervention. And dairy is a case in point, and I believe that banking was. Well, there you go. To the viewers, um, you can tell by what John has just said there. He's approached this very cautiously. This is not just some knee-jerk reaction here. The dairy industry is in a very, very bad way. It does desperately require something to be done. The minister's current position is wrong and it must be changed and that's going to require a coalition of people um, supporting this kind of approach. So we will, we will, um, we in the Citizens Party promote action on this area, in this area as well. And we think that 
I personally think that because Pauline Hanson's proposal failed by one vote in the Senate, um, combining that with what, or, 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 or going to what John is proposing, will likely win over those few other votes that would, re, that would take to support that, right? So get behind this proposal, check out our website, we'll provide a link below, you can click on and read uh, John's report. If you know people in the dairy industry, share it around, share it with your Member of Parliament, etc. Let's get something done for this industry because we're not just, it's not a charity we're talking about here, Australia needs a dairy industry. It's, it's quite simple, this is, this is in the national interest. So John, thanks for joining us today and um, thanks for being part of the inaugural episode of the Citizens Insight Series. Good luck with your Insight Series. I think it's a, it's a great idea and I think it's a great idea to sometimes invite people on that may not have the same ideological view as you have but have got open minds and willing to discuss both sides of the coin. Yes. And next time we'll do it in the studio again and then go over to the, go over the street and have a, uh, a drink. <laughs> Good. All right. Thanks, John.